Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This podcast episode will be like nothing else I've recorded all season long, because for the first time, the Jets pulled out a win. An 0-13 team projected to lose by 17 points against the playoff-bound Los Angeles Rams. The Jets travel across the country, go there, the second biggest upset in team history, and they dodge infamy, joining the likes of the Browns and Lions as the only 0-16 teams of all time. The Jets win this game. A huge upset against the Rams, 23-20. to 20. They play well in offense, defense, special teams. Even the coaching was better than it's been this year. We saw a lot of young guys show up, and it was a lot of fun. We saw this Jets team play their best game of the season and beat a good team. And even still, there's a ton of negativity around the fan base. People are not happy with this. In fact, if you took a poll of the fan base of the Jets, I think you would find that 90% plus would be very disappointed that the Jets even won this game. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the win, and then I'm going to spend, I'm going to move past all of that stinking Trevor Lawrence 0-16 first overall pick talk. I'm going to tune this thing into a positive light, talk about how the Jets actually won a game, why they won, who played well, and we're going to enjoy it. And you know what? Believe it or not, we're going to find a new plan, a new path, adapt and react like a good general manager and front office would do, and get this team to better days yet. So a ton of stuff to get to on this podcast. Really excited for this one. I think I had probably my most depressing podcast episode of all time yesterday, last week, when I did the Seahawks-Jets route. That was a miserable experience, and I said that this game was going to be worse. Turns out I was wrong. This was the best game they played all year. And it was against one of the best teams that they've played all year. So tons to get to. Before we get to it all, I got to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation podcast title, series title, This Is The Jet Life. I do these every single week on Tuesday. They're recorded. They're usually up sometime around Tuesday at, you know, 10, 30, 11 p.m. when I'm done uh, mixing them down and getting them up there. Right now it's... Doing a little early today. I didn't actually work today. Pretty exciting. So I'm recording this right now at 4.16 p.m. And I'm excited. I couldn't wait on this one. I didn't, uh, I usually start them at like 6. But today I was like, can we just, can we just get to this already? I mean, the Jets won and they looked good. Dang good. For one week. You know, we're not going to uh, act like the Jets are a great team now and destined to win next week against the Browns, or even the week after that against the Patriots. It's possible. But at least they showed one week that they could come out and hang with a good team and beat a team that's playing for something, like the Saint, uh, Los Angeles Rams. So to start, the Jets win this game. Normally, super exciting. Of course, dodging history being 0-16 feels really good. I've been aiming for that all year long. Please don't make us one of the worst three teams in history. I don't want people to be just bringing that up for the rest of my life every single year. Oh, remember how horrible? Yeah, I remember. 1-15, in 15, much more easily forgotten. I can name you all of the zero-win teams in NFL history. I cannot name you all of the one-win teams. 
But the Jets pull this thing off, and still, the entire fan base is angry because they want Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. They want who was considered to be one of the best players to come out of college in the last 20 years at a position quarterback that is extremely important, highly valued, and the most important position on a team. Now, Trevor Lawrence would be potentially a great addition for the New York Jets, who have been struggling. We tried it with Sam Darnold. We sucked for him. Went through a whole campaign of that. Hasn't really worked out the way that we wanted to. Probably the coaching staff's fault, but in an in a alternate world, you know, we fire the coaching staff. We get a better team in there. We draft Trevor Lawrence. We go on our merry way and potentially win tons of championships, and that's what everybody's upset about, that we just missed out on all of that. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe in all that, that there's one path the Jets would be successful on. They had to get Trevor Lawrence, and now we're screwed. That's to say that the Jaguars are now about to win every single Super Bowl for the next 10, 20 years just because Trevor Lawrence is on the team. Now, we know that's not the case. The Jaguars will not win the Super Bowl the year that Trevor Lawrence is there. Somebody else will. Why? Because they have a better constructed team. They have guys like offense, defense, special teams, all different areas of the field making plays, not just one guy. And those quarterbacks that will be winning Super Bowls when he doesn't will be guys like maybe Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, guys that weren't even all drafted in the first round, none in the top ten. And so... When you sit here and you say that this guy's the closest thing to Andrew Luck, a guy that never won a Super Bowl and wasn't even all that effective in the playoffs, now his career was cut short. I don't want to rank on a guy like him. I respect Andrew Luck greatly. But to say that it all rested in the hands of this guy who's never done anything in the NFL yet, we have no clue how good he's going to be. He's going to go to a team that needs a lot more help because one quarterback does not make a team great. I watched the Bengals play some pretty horrible football this year. And you know what? When you go through the whole thing, Joe Burrow was the obvious first-round pick. Justin Herbert's had a better season. He's the guy that you wish he had. So again, it just there's no saying that Trevor Lawrence is the answer. He's the most likely, yes. And if the Jets are in that position to draft him later on, potentially we go for it. But we are not going to talk about all the spoiled milk of winning this game and how horrible it is. We're going to talk about how we beat a good team and look damn good doing it. So before we get to the team stats and performances, we are going to talk about the standings of the league. In the AFC East, very interesting week because the Patriots play the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins win, and in week 15, with two weeks to go in the regular season, the New England Patriots have a big fat E next to their name for eliminated. Two weeks to go, they're not even playing for anything. Their team has been so bad this year, a negative 12-point differential, they're on a two-game losing skid, and honestly... They looked bad from the beginning of the year. They had some moments here and there. They played a really good Chargers game. They played well against some good teams. But when it came down to it, they're 6-8. and eight, And they're a team that, honestly, if you're playing them Week 17 as the Jets, you're thinking, it's possible we win that game because the Patriots are not what they were. The rain has ended. The Buffalo Bills are your new AFC East champions. At 11-3, and three, they have clinched first in the AFC East for the first time since, I forget what it was, 1995 or 1998 or something like that, since the 90s. It's been a long time. And they're going to be making it. 11-3, and three, they are right now fighting to see if they can be the number two seed, which after Pittsburgh's loss to the Bengals, it's very possible they will be. The Dolphins, on the other hand, they are currently 
playing their butts off to try to get into the playoffs. They are currently holding that number seven spot, which will be the final place in the playoffs this year. The third wild card team added in. They're nine and five, but right behind them at eight are the Baltimore Ravens, who are nine and five. So if the Ravens go on a hot streak at the end of the year, they'll be moving into the playoffs potentially, right? In that top seven. That means that somebody between the Titans, the Browns, or the Colts have to be moved out if it's not the Dolphins. All of those teams have 10 wins. So the Dolphins at 9-5, and five, same record as the Ravens. They are basically just going head-to-head with them without playing each other. The Dolphins have the tiebreaker because they have a better win percentage in conference. But I wouldn't be so sure the Dolphins are going to make it. And personally, like, there's definitely a level of pride in your AFC East division where it's like you don't want the division to suck. You don't want to be the NFC East, right, where it's just like everybody laughs at your division. Like, oh, my God. Even winning it isn't impressive because everybody's so stinky. So having the Dolphins make the playoffs would, yes, make the AFC East a stronger division, and people would be looking at it like, wow, that's a really legit division of good teams over there. But you never want to see the Dolphins make the playoffs. We used to hate that team way more than we do now because, believe it or not, the Patriots used to suck, and it used to be the Miami Dolphins for the most part that the Jets hated. Then when the Jets were really bad, the Buffalo Bills had a stretch in the 90s where they were really good. But, you know, we got to get back to our old days. The Patriots are out of it. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL right now, and they're certainly playing like it. Congratulations, I guess, to the Buffalo Bills for making the playoffs, winning the division, and dethroning the Patriots once and for all, making it official. We'll see what happens to the Dolphins monitoring that as the year goes on. The other half of the standings that we need to look at is the overall league standings and where the Jets will be drafting. Now, we know the Jets have held that first overall draft spot because they've been the only winless team in the NFL. But the Jacksonville Jaguars have actually reclaimed first overall pick. They have the same record as the Jets 1-13, but due to strength of schedule, the Jets have a much harder schedule. And so because the team in the Jets has to play a harder schedule, it's said that they're kind of expected to lose those games. The Jaguars play an easy schedule. The theory is that they should be winning more games. Their 1-13 is more pathetic than our 1-13. They will be drafting before us. Now, the Jaguars will play the Bears this week, a team that's playing for the playoffs still and, frankly, has looked horrible at times this year. They also were starting the season 5-1, and one, so you got to watch out if they're getting back into a, a form where they're feeling a little bit more comfortable. This is a game that the Jaguars definitely could win, and we need to root heavily, heavily for the Jaguars. Because now that we know we've dodged history of being one of the worst three teams of history, we can now focus on, all right, Now can we get back to that first overall pick? And not by losing games, but by the Jaguars winning games. And the Bengals winning games, which they did this week. The Bengals took care of business against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they now have guaranteed the Jets will be drafting either pick number one or pick number two. If the Jets went out, they still will not have a worse record than the Cincinnati Bengals. So a lot to look at there. The Jaguars' last game of the season is against the Colts, and that is the one team that they beat this year. And they actually played the Colts pretty well historically. So it's possible in the next two weeks, the Jaguars will be able to pull off a win. We need to root for them heavily. They play at 1 o'clock, same as the Jets this week, against the Bears. So that's one flip back and forth. I know it's not a great game, not super entertaining, but if the Jaguars win, huge positive implications for this Jets franchise. Okay. So, my dad has some thoughts on the subject, and we've done Father Time this year. We've been moving it up to earlier in the program, where we're going to do it now. 
but it's been a situation where he's been pretty open saying that, you know, he loves Sam Darnold, really wanted him when he came out, but he's shifting over towards the Trevor Lawrence train, and he'd like to see Trevor Lawrence as a Jet. He's been a lot more vocal about that recently, and I was really interested to see what he would think in his father time when this game was over. Due to the pandemic and stuff, this is the first year that we're not actually watching all the games together, so even though we have, like, every couple days, we talk on the phone for, like, an hour, just about all sorts of New York Jets things, but we're not actually watching the games together, so I don't have as much great conversation as I usually do. When this Father Time came in, I'll read it for you. This is Father Time, written by David Burnham. Wow, what a game in Los Angeles last Sunday. Our Jets defense manhandled the proud, overconfident, playoff-bound Rams. The fearsome front was negated by our ragtag offensive line. The offense was potent. The afternoon offered plenty of timely plays. They started fast, weathered the storm, and finished strong. What a great day that was. One thing, though, we may have lost our Clemson savior. Oops. Well, there are a lot of great players to pick from if it isn't Trevor Lawrence. Many future stars the Jets could pick if things don't work out perfectly. And I will spare you the long, premature list of college players that are currently headed to the NFL. The many paths that Joe Douglas might take to field an improved Jets team. Why? Because it doesn't matter yet. So, root for our Jets and hope for the best. It would be nice to beat the Browns, Baker Mayfield, and Miles Garrett. Also, root, root for the Jacksonville Jaguars because they can only help us if they win. We have two teams to root for this Sunday. Consider it a bonus week. The NFL season is short. Enjoy the rest of the games. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, and go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's Father Time by David Burnham. And it was super interesting. Super interesting to see his point of view because he's a guy that has been suffering through many, many Jet seasons. Right? He's much older than I, doing this for much longer than I. And for him to be sitting here saying that all is not lost and that there's plenty of good to be found in winning games and actually to root for the team to win again. I mean... That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Not that, oh, now that we don't get Trevor Lawrence, something out of our control, we're absolutely screwed, and there's nothing that we can do. I guess we should just fold up shop and not play for the next 20 years until the next guy like Trevor Lawrence comes out. No, it's like, no, there's plenty of different avenues the Jets can go through. He's got a huge list. He didn't read it to us, but he's got a list of guys that could make this team better tomorrow. And there's a ton of different paths, like he said, that Joe Douglas can take to improve the team. And if they do that, They'll be more competitive. And when they're more competitive, I mean, it all just spirals up or spirals down. And recently, it's been going the wrong way. But I think with a good draft this year from Joe Douglas, another good draft hopefully coming next year, some wise spent money in free agency, and a really, really nice, maybe second overall pick, this team is going to be headed in the right direction much faster than we thought, with or without Trevor Lawrence. So my dad's right. Root for the Jets. It would be nice to beat the Browns. Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. Absolutely, it'd be great. It'd also be great if the Jaguars won. And then we could do whatever, win games. The Jaguars could win. We'd see how the chips stack when the season's over. There's no time, no reason to worry about it right now. Like you said, it doesn't matter. There's plenty of time. We're going to have a long offseason. We always do, prepping for who we're going to get, why the team's going to be good. You know, we do that every single year. We'll be doing that in this podcast doesn't need to be done right now. So thank you, Dad, for the optimistic words. I agree wholeheartedly with that. 
Would be nice to have Trevor Lawrence. The stars align. But you know what? We watched a nice Jets win on Sunday. So we're going to talk about that win. But before we do, quick commercial. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back. Now that we got through all of that hogwash and one great father time, we can talk about the game in some detail here. Jets win 23-20 to after being 17-point underdogs. So not only did we cover the spread, but we actually covered the money line winning, and hopefully some great Jets fans made some good money. And when you look at the game, the Jets actually deferred, which is something that Adam Gase does not usually do to start a game. They gave the ball to the Rams first, and I think maybe he's so confident on opening drives, he's like, you know what, let's just see what they can do. We know we're going to score. We forced a punt on three plays, and just like the last seven weeks, the Jets scoring an on the opening drive. It's eight weeks in a row, which is ridiculous for a team that has trouble scoring at all this year, but they can do it so consistently on the first drive. When Adam Gay scripts the plays, it actually does all right. I think my theory of this is that he spends so much time all week and so much energy just like looking at film and preparing for what the team did last week. And he just finally, I know, I know what to do. It's just screen the ball to Ty Johnson And it'll take one drive or two drives for them to be on the sideline looking at their surfaces going, oh, you know what they're doing? They're doing this every time. Then they make their adjustments. It takes him a whole week to do one drive. A team can figure it out in about 30 seconds, and that's why we score early. But this week, touchdown on the first drive. And it was a screen pass to the left side by Ty Johnson, who was very active on that drive, converting on a few third downs. So we're up 7-0. They get the ball back. Three plays, punt. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we thwarting this Sean McVay offense right now? The Jets punt. Back to the Rams. They go to punt. We actually block it. JT Hassel, a guy that we hardly even know, special teams stand out this week, blocks the punt, gets the ball in field goal range for the Jets. They only go eight yards, but with Sam Ficken back, taking over for the injured Sergio Castillo, Ficken makes the field goal. Jets up 10-0. Okay, all right, we're getting a little high on ourselves here. It's still early in the game. We'll see what can happen. The Rams can come alive, and the Jets are known to fall asleep at the wheel. Jared Goff gets the ball back, throws an interception to Bryce Hall. Rookie sensation all of a sudden with a nice, beautiful one-handed pick and a bit of a return as well. Gets the Jets back in field goal range. Another field goal. A series of four punts, two for the Rams, two for the Jets. And then with the last remaining seconds of the first half, The Rams are able to go down the field and get three points. So they weren't shut out completely in the first half, but for the first 29 minutes, they were by this Jets team. 17-point underdogs, up 13-3 at the half. So it's the Jets' ball first. What do they do? They proceed to go 11 plays, 72 yards down the field, ending in a Frank Gore touchdown. The Jets are up 20-3 to in the third quarter, and the Rams are starting to freak out, and the whole world is starting to notice on the bottom. Jaguars fans are watching, I'm sure, cheering for the Jets. Everybody's like, what is going on there? This Jets team, how are they beating them? Now the Rams get the ball back. Pretty quick little drive, 75 yards for them. They get a touchdown. But we're not done yet. We still got a little juice in the tank. Our second drive in the second half, the Jets go 10 plays, 72 yards, ends in a Sam Ficken field goal, 23-10. to now the Rams are getting pissed off. All right, this is enough. We got to get scored. We got to beat this team. They do move down the field. Six plays, 75 yards. Touchdown, 17 to 23. 
the Jets punt the ball. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, the offense is going stale. This is looking like the time when the Rams are about to take over. The Rams get the ball back, get a field goal. The Jets, another three and out, punt the ball back 23 to 20. It's up to the Rams to try to score. They throw, they get pretty close to scoring range. It's a third and third and seven or so. They throw a ball to Cam Akers on the side, covered by Neville Hewitt, incomplete. Fourth and four. They throw it over to Marcus May on the right side of the field. A beautiful defensive stop by Marcus May, diving up, tipping the ball, winning the game for the New York Jets, potentially. They've got about four minutes left in the game. All right, turnover on downs for the Rams, down 20 to 23. Jets ball, four minutes. All we really have to do is get a couple first downs. We know that we're going to be handing the ball up the middle to Frank Gore like we always do. But this time, we're actually moving there. Frank Gore. Three yards. All right, second and seven. Next run, Frank Gore, eight yards. His long of the game comes at this point. First down, Jets. Rams start calling timeouts. Get the two-minute warning. The Jets running Frank Gore, not a lot of room. Running Frank Gore, not a lot of room. It's gotten to a third and six at about the two-minute warning. If the Jets can convert here, they'll win the game. If they cannot, the Rams will get the ball back. Down three. Sam Darnold drops back in the pocket. Frank Gore runs about a five-yard curl up the middle, waves his arms frantically, pass me the ball, I'm open. Sam throws it to him, juggled a little bit. Frank Gore catches it, falls backwards, trying to get to the line to gain. Gets there, first down, game over, Jets win. 23-20. to 20. Amazing performances all around. The Jets deserve a lot of credit for what they pulled off in this one. Some good play by some good players, and holy moly. You want to look at the team stats in this one? For the first week, the Jets win. They actually have more positive team stats when you look through the whole thing. First downs, the Jets beat them 17-16. to Passing yards, 196 for the Jets. The Rams only had 189 net passing yards. Rushing the ball, we weren't super efficient. You know, we're down a bunch of guys right now. 93 rushing yards for the Jets, 114 for the Rams. That's all right. I think that uh, overall it was successful enough for both teams. Total yards, 289 to 303. So pretty even there. When you look at third down efficiency, something that we have been just for the whole existence of this podcast, third down efficiency has been a huge problem for the Jets when we stink. When we do well, it's much better. This week, the Jets, 7 for 17. Pretty good. Way better than our average. The Rams, 2 for 11. Horrible. That's a huge difference in this game. When you convert on third downs, you keep possession, keep the ball moving forward, getting closer to that scoring range. You saw the Jets were able to do it more often. I mean, by the time this game was over, basically outscored them in time of possessions by 10 minutes. Now, the penalties still weren't great. Jets had six penalties for 61 yards, worse than the Rams, five for 43. But the other most important thing in this game was turnovers. The Jets did not have a single turnover, but they did have one takeaway, that interception by Bryce Hall on Jared Goff. And so we look at the third down efficiency, the turnover margin, time of possession. Those are the main differences in this game, and that's why the Jets won by three. That and a blocked punt. It's not showing up on the stat sheet, but was a huge game changer. The Jets really played mistake-free football. No turnovers, no interceptions, no fumbles lost. They didn't have any missed kicks for the first week in a long time. No blocked kicks. 
They didn't have a horrible amount of penalties. They had more than they should have. But it was a complete game across the board. And that's what it takes for a team like the Jets in 2020 to be a team like the Rams. And it happened. The stars aligned and they won. And some of you were still upset about it. And that is ridiculous. Don't be upset. Just enjoy it. This is a good thing. This team won. It's cool. Now let's go over to the player performances. Starting on the offense, our quarterback, Sam Darnold, who is fighting for his life. Can he remain the Jets quarterback in 2021 and beyond? Whether you're on the side of wanting him to or not, good performances from him will only help aid in that, and bad performances will get him out of here faster. In this game, 22 for 31. He's over 66% completion, which is solid. 207 passing yards, his first game over 200 passing yards since week four, if you'd believe that. That's insane. First one since week four. It's 207 yards. It's like not even that impressive. But he hasn't done games like this in a long time. He had one touchdown. That screen passed to Ty Johnson on the first drive of the game. No interceptions. He was sacked only two times. Pretty comfortable in the pocket, considering the Rams have one of those really dominant pass rushes with stars like Aaron Donald on it. When the game's all said and done, Sammy's got a 99.8 quarterback rating and an 88 total QBR because he was efficient. He wasn't gaudy. He wasn't flashy. He didn't make any crazy plays, but you know what he did? He spread the ball out. He threw the ball to seven different receivers in this game. Only 22 completions, seven different receivers. Pretty impressive there. He ran a couple times, five times for 18 yards, so picked up first downs when he needed to. But he didn't make those mistakes. He picked up the first downs when he needed to. He was composed, wasn't taking bad sacks, wasn't making those kind of, you know, those Sam Darnold bonehead plays where every once in a while you're just like, ah, scratch your head. No, don't do that. How could you take that there? There was one, I believe, when he rolled out and probably could have thrown the ball away but ran out of bounds. Either way, by the time this game was over, I couldn't help but be impressed with the game that he played. This was not a dominant, like, you know, you're down by 10 points and the performance that Sam Darnold had is going to win the game. But what it is, is it's a very good game manager style game. And so, very pleased with the performance that we had. Of course, it would have been nice to see him put up three touchdowns, four touchdowns, something like that, and have one of those games that we really haven't seen from him at all this year. I'd like to see him throw over 250 yards for the first time this season. How about 300 yards even? Go crazy. You know, multi-touchdown games, very rare. But to come out and have a game like this against a defense that many consider the best in the entire league, that's pretty darn impressive. And maybe it's something that he can build on moving forward. A little bit of confidence boost in a, a season when he's had no reason to have any confidence. The team's been playing badly. The game planning's been bad. Everybody's been hating on the team. So much negativity around the franchise. But you do something like this? I mean, he said it in the postgame after the, after the game was over. He was saying, like, it's incredible to win. There's no better feeling than winning a game, going to victory formation, and he's ecstatic as hell. Even Adam Gay said that this is the most excited he's seen players for a win in his career because it just meant so much. It wasn't just, you know, what is one win? You you laugh at him saying, like, they won one game out, now they're 1-13. and 13. What do they have to celebrate about? They did not want to be 0-16. They did not want to be remembered for that. They wanted to win. They forget what it's like to do it. It's been so long. Some of these players, Mekhi Becton, Denzel Mims, they've never won a game in the NFL. They're the only players left in the league who have never won a game. And so to, like, get that monkey off your back and pull the win out, you got to be happy for him. It was awesome. Happy for Sam. We need to see more, but it wasn't a bad game from him. And definitely, definitely his performance helped us win.
When you go to the receivers in this game, the people he was thrown to, his number one target, Jameson Crowder, had six receptions for 66 yards on eight targets. Pretty solid game from Jameson. He was sprinkled in throughout. One name you're not used to seeing in there, Chris Herndon. He had a really nice game. He had a catch on the touchdown drive, the first one of the game. He had a 22-yarder later on. And then another third catch to total 48 yards on this game. This is arguably, other than his touchdown game, hit probably his second best game of the entire season. And he's a guy that has disappeared. He is known on This Is The Jet Life for being in the doghouse every single week. But this week, three catches, 48 yards. I mean, you got to be happy with what you see. It looked like, it kind of looked like his rookie year when Sam Darnold was using him, you know, rolling out in the field, finding Chris Herndon, getting extra yardage, doing slants, kind of using him like a, you know, a weapon. And in this game, Chris Herndon felt like a weapon. And you see it, and it just reminds you, like, how, how come this doesn't happen more often? We've got this guy here who's capable of doing this. I'd like to see more. I think Chris Herndon is going to be on the team next year because he's still on that rookie contract. So it is still important to see growth from him and opportunity. Rest of the receivers, keep in mind, Jalen Ramsey, best cornerback in the league. He's moving around on the field. He hit points, covered Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and Denzel Mims. And he was switching from the top or left and right side of the field. He was making sure that there were no deep balls. And he, for the most part, did a good job on whoever he was covering. We kind of ignored him. Like Darrell Rebus' old games, we just didn't throw in that direction for the entire game. Prashad Perriman had one catch, 21 yards. Denzel Mims, back from his personal emergency, back this week. He had one of his quietest games. He does have three catches, which is a decent amount for him this season. But only 18 yards. His long was 11 yards and... You know, he had six yards per care or yards per catch in this game. And for the season, we've been seeing him get like typically 14, 15, 16 yards per catch. So a lot less dynamic of a game than we're used to seeing. But the Jets win. He was a part of it. He was out there for the full, I think he played 89% of snaps. So still pleased with Denzel Mims. I just, you know, we've gotten to the red zone a bunch of times inside the five-yard line. I would love, every single time we get there, I'm like, can we try one pylon pass to Denzel Mims just to see what it looks like? I'm not guaranteeing that a pylon pass will work, but if you can get him spread out wide, one-on-one against a cornerback, just give him pylon pass, throw it up, see what it looks like. Maybe he comes down with it. My guess is he's probably pretty darn good at those because he's been making crazy, ridiculous toe-tapping and contested catches all season long. So my thought is, like, if you just give him a one-on-one, put it in a good spot, probably come down. So I'd love to see one of those tried. Jets didn't do it this week. That's all right. We will wait for his first touchdown, and we will celebrate immensely when it happens. Braxton Berrios had two catches for nine yards. He was only out there for three offensive snaps. He was throwing the ball in the end zone, a pass from Sam Darnold. Actually, a beautiful ball that was thrown to Berrios. He just couldn't contort and twist his body enough in the end zone to get it. Uh, The Jets ended up settling for a field goal on that possession. We mentioned the running backs in this game. Catching the ball, Ty Johnson, six catches for 39 yards. I think five of those came on the first drive of the game. He ended up getting a big old touchdown. So that was a huge performance from him. And then Frank Gore, he had one catch on one target. And you know what one that was? That was the game-clinching first down that we talked about. Six yards to win the game. Rushing the ball, Frank Gore still not very efficient. He had that touchdown with a really nice block from Mekhi Becton. But his longest run was that eight-yarder on the final drive of the game, and he averaged 2.6 yards per carry, 23 rushes for 59 yards. He's still rushing up the middle, 
primarily. He's still slow. I mean, he's a great guy, great teammate, good person to have in the locker room. So I don't want to trash him too much here, but he just doesn't have that burst. He's not a dynamic running back. He's not getting it done efficiency-wise. And he's a guy that if we can replace him next year, we'll be better off. It's just the name of the game. If he wants to be the number three running back or be on the team as a coach, something like that, just to be around the guys, that's awesome. He's great for that stuff. But 23 carries in a game, and you're getting 59 yards. I mean, I think we could find that elsewhere. Sam Darnold had his 5 for 18. And then Ty Johnson, he only ran the ball three times, but for 16 yards, a log of seven. So pretty decent game from him. Still, I mean, you got a split between Frank Gore and Ty Johnson, your two running backs. And keep in mind, Josh Adams is still available, and he's been really efficient for the Jets this year in his limited carries. We run 26 times to running backs, and 23 of those are for Frank Gore, 37 years old. It, it just, you know, I, I get it. This is like a throwaway year at this point, so it's not that big of a deal, and we don't really have a running back that you got to get the ball in his hands at this point. But just to feed a guy like him so consistently, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's just bad coaching. It's just lazy Bad, stubborn coaching. I'm talking to you, Adam Gase. Offensive line. Offensive line. We still don't have Greg Van Roten, who has been a nice surprise for the Jets this year. David Andrews is playing in his place. David Andrews kind of stinks. We give up a bunch of pressures from the inside. Pat Elfline, David Andrews, and even Connor McGovern combined for all of the hurries that Sam Darnold faced in this game. Pat Elfline has been an improvement over Alex Lewis, but he's still not probably the answer. David Andrews is absolutely not good, and so that's just the scoop with him. But when you look at the two tackles in this game, George Fant, he's back, and Mekhi Becton, they gave up zero pressures, zero quarterback hits, zero sacks between those two players. And Mekhi Becton specifically was up against uh, some really good pass rushers in this game. Aaron Donald came on him a few times, a couple of run plays. Mekhi Becton went directly for Aaron Donald, and in all of those situations, Mekhi Becton won. He was as good as he's been. He was opening lanes for the running game, even though there weren't huge holes and Frank Gore's not hitting him super hard. He did truly set us up for the touchdown by blocking and negating Aaron Donald. Spun him around on the goal line, took him out of the play. Aaron Donald's just like leaning backwards, trying to like get his arm out there to see if he can do anything. He cannot. Frank Gore scores a touchdown. Mekhi Becton keeps Sam Darnold upright for the entirety of the game from his position, and he is our offensive player of the game. I thought about giving it to Frank Gore because Frank Gore had those crazy plays. He had that eight-yard run for a first down in the last drive and the six-yard catch. Those are two game-winning plays. But Makai Becton was dominant from the very beginning to the very end against a team that's supposed to be one of the most dangerous defenses in the entire league. I couldn't wait to see him matched up against them. And he dominated. All game long, he just did his job perfectly, like with ease, as if it was any other team. And Frank Gore was wildly inefficient running the ball. And so the touchdown and those two first downs are not enough to negate that. Becton, his solid game, he gets player of the game for the Jets. So that is our offense. What? 23 points and a win for the O. Before we move over to the defense, we are going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today I am drinking Kent Falls. Superscript IPA, Imperial Pale Ale. This is something that I got. I mentioned on the pad podcast last week that I was helping my sister and brother-in-law move their house, 
And as a gift for doing that, they got me a a big bottle of Booker's whiskey, which is like 63% delicious, crazy high-quality whiskey that has been absolutely dangerous for me to have for the past week or so. And they got me the Superscript IPA from Kent Falls. I never had this before. And anybody from the Connecticut area knows that Kent Falls is definitely one of the highest regarded breweries for IPAs in the area. They make uh, a lot of different a lot of different IPAs. A lot of them are very good. Some of them are really hard to find and the brewery is beautiful. This right here is made 100% locally grown from malted grains because they love their farmers and it tastes better. That's what it says. This is a 1 pint 6% ABV brewed and packaged in Kent, Connecticut. This is, it's a nice beer, 6%. I'm drinking it out of the can, so I can't see its color. I imagine it's slightly darker brown than I usually drink. Probably not super hazy, but it is light, kind of fluffy. It's got a kind of grainy flavor. Um, I like it. It's a it's a perfect little, little podcast beer. You know, tall boy, so I don't have to worry about running out. 6%, so I don't have to worry about sounding like a complete jackass. And, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful gift. I appreciate it from Krista and Ryan, sister and brother-in-law. Wonderful. Fueling the podcast, many more of these to come. I am off of work for five more days. Just hanging out, loving life. Quarantine life is just a riot. Video games and podcasts and, I mean, it is just, with this beer and the whiskey, so many fun days ahead. I cannot wait. I wish there were Jets games every single day. We can just keep watching replays of this one. I've watched it. It's funny because like when the Jets lose, especially when they lose badly, you just want to ignore everything football related. Please don't put me onto any single radio show or people talking about the st- highlights from the week. All that stuff is just like, no, no, not interested. But when they win a game, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, let's see this week's highlights. Who else is a winner like us? Let's see what other guys could do. You know, you see the little Jets moments in there. The Marcus made a uh, deflection at the end or the Ty Johnson touchdown. And you're like, oh, hell yeah. Even though you're 1-13, it just feels cool to be a winner. You're watching content from people. Listen, what does everyone else have to say about this? Yeah, unfortunately, everyone's talking about how it sucks that we missed out on Trevor Lawrence. But you know what? It is what it is. The Jets won. It's very cool. That is this week's What's on Tap. And now a quick commercial. Alrighty, welcome back everybody to This Is The Jet Life. We are about to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We know what we saw from the offense. We liked it. We loved it at times. But what about the defense? Well, we mentioned it before. They gave up three points in the first half, coming on a field goal in the last seconds of the first half. Jets giving up 20 points to Sean McVay's high-powered offense that, you know, I specifically was projecting would get 40-plus points on us. I thought they might. But this team, this Sean McVay team, is they can be a dynamic, intense offense. We saw them play against the Chiefs in a game where they scored like 50 points back and forth. We saw them play a Super Bowl against the Patriots where they couldn't score at all. We saw them play the Dolphins earlier this year where they couldn't score. And in this game, they're projected to win by 17 points. They hardly even scored 17 points. I mean, this team can disappear offensively. And the Jets were able to do that. Frank Bush, fill-in defensive coordinator. Shout out to that guy because he really stepped it up from what he brought last week. Now, 20 total points. 
And when it came down to it, a couple big defensive plays, Marcus May's tip at the end of the game specifically, won it for us. We're going to go through these position groups and talk about the guys that made up this epic win. Defensive line. We're going to start with none other than Quinn and Williams, who was celebrating a birthday during this game and is our defensive player of the game. Quinn and Williams. This guy has been dominant of late. He's been dominant. In this game, he had a bunch of tackles, ended up with four. He had a sack, you know, big tackle for loss, the QB hit. His presence was felt. He was firing back there. He was forcing quick throws. His hurries in this game, I don't have a number on that, but there was a handful of them where he was forcing Jared Goff to get the ball out early. There were a bunch of times you saw, like, the whole pocket just start to disintegrate, and you're like, who caused that? And then you'd look back and be like, it was Quentin Williams. Unfortunately, he didn't get to finish the game. He got kneed in the head, ended up getting a concussion, it looks like. He was puking on the sideline. It was a really ugly sight to see. But in reality, Quentin Williams is playing just as well as Aaron Donald, who's considered arguably top five player in the entire NFL. And for the past month, we've kind of been bragging about Quentin Williams' big growth, his progression, his dominance recently. And in this game, when he's going toe-to-toe with Aaron Donald, and you're watching both sides saying, you know, Aaron Donald's good, but this guy, Quinn and Williams, I think he's making a bigger impact, and he's kind of getting it done himself. When you can do that and be in that conversation with a top-five player in the entire league, and you do it on your birthday, which is kind of cool, you get defensive player of the game. I know he didn't finish the game. I know the stats aren't all there, but he was disruptive, and a concussion something that he's going to come back from no problem. This guy, I mean, he is just getting better and better every week. I am so glad that he's on the team. There was a moment of doubt for some fans thinking like, yeah, Quinn Williams is good, but maybe he's just another Leonard Williams, who at the time for the Jets was just like, you know, pretty good, but never really took that next level. Leonard Williams, of course, is doing much better for the Giants this year. But Quinn Williams, I mean, he has turned it up in year two. Turned it up. Defensive player of the game. Not his first, not his last. Aside from him, Fadakasi's out in this game. So we're working with a slightly different defensive line. Nathan Shepard, who's been really quiet basically since drafting him, has made a few plays in his career, but he had a sack and a nice tackle for loss and a running back in the backfield. Ended up with a pretty decent game filling in, playing some of that Fadakasi role. The other sack in this game went to John Franklin Myers. Not as impressive of a sack, but he ended up getting it. Terrell Basham, he had a couple quarterback hits. Um, I mean, the defensive line, it's... It's hit or miss. Quinn Williams and Fadakasi are always good. Everybody else between Henry Anderson, John Franklin Myers, Bryce Huff, you know, Kyle Phillips when he was playing, Terrell Basham, you, go, you know, you go through these guys, they don't all show up every game, but it's just which guy's going to make a couple plays in this game. And in this game, Henry Anderson did not show up, Bryce Huff did not show up, but John Franklin Myers had a couple nice plays, and Nathan Shepard's the guy that showed up. So as long as a few guys are contributing... I think right now it's working. Moving forward, we are going to have to replace some of those guys with better players. But Jordan Jenkins didn't play in this game, so you know who got more snaps? Frankie Louvu. And Frankie Louvu had his presence felt on the field. He had two quarterback hits himself. He was flying around. He looked he looked fast. There were a couple of plays where you're like, wow, who was that? Wow, that was Frankie Louvu making plays. He's a young guy who I was talking about last week. He's not a shoe-in to be on the roster next year. He's right now, in my opinion, playing for a camp spot to see if he can be back on the roster. If he strings games like this together, this is now two decent games in a row, this game better than the last even. I mean, he's going to be definitely invited back to training camp. And if he's trending up like this, there's a good chance he may end up making the final roster. So good game by him. The rest of the linebackers, 
Neville Hewitt did his thing. Ten tackles. This guy's still like a top ten tackler in the entire NFL. He is one of the best tacklers I've ever seen. He's not the fastest. He's not the most athletic. He's not the flashiest player. But when he hits a guy with his shoulder and arms, he gets them to go down the direction that he wants them to go. He doesn't get taken for a ride. He just brings people down and does not let go. Neville Hewitt led the team in tackles again. Great game from him. Happy to have him there. Harvey Lang, he's been quiet. we got another guy, Hager, who does nothing. He's got like 131 snaps, Hager, and we've never seen him make a play yet, so that guy will absolutely not be back. I think that Harvey Lange, or Harvey Longy, whatever you want to call him, he's trending down and trending potentially to off the team if he can't be a big special teams player. He plays 100% of the snaps right now. But the minute you have Patrick Onwasor, C.J. Mosley, maybe even Blake Cashman, I mean, Harvey Lange is one of those guys that goes first. When you go over to the defensive backs, this is an area of ups and downs. You want to talk about the doghouse player of the game? We'll start with the downs. LaShawn Austin. He gave up a touchdown in the end zone to Robert Woods. He had three penalties in this game, which is half the Jets' penalties. He was sloppy. He did make a couple nice tackles like he always does. He's actually a very good tackling cornerback, and he's usually pretty good and consistent in coverage. But this week was not his week. He was getting penalties giving up a touchdown. Unfortunately, he is our doghouse player of the game. Sorry, Bless. I'm sure you'll get it back. This is not who you are. This is just who you were. You will be better, and I believe in you. Aside from him, 100% of the snaps played by Bryce Hall, a rookie who has been up and down. His first and second performance were thinking pretty good. Last week, I'm thinking not very good. Then this week, the one-handed interception, you know, keeping the Rams in that offense to a total passing of 209 yards. When you take take net, keep the sacks in, it's under 200 yards of net passing yardage. I mean, Bryce Hall, you can't be upset. And with that interception, a game-changing that got us in the Jets, field goal range, a Sam Ficken kick, we win by three. Awesome game from him. Brian Poole's not been playing, so Javelin Guidry stepped in for the slot. He actually played 100% of snaps as well. So he played 100% of snaps in either the nickel or dime package in this game. Javelin Guidry has been, I think he's been a little bit of a surprise. I think he's been better than we expected him to be. In the slot, I like him more than Perry Nickerson was. Not saying much. I like him more than Arthur Mollette there. He's not as good as Brian Poole, no. But he's young. He's cheap. He's shown more life than a guy like Lamar Jackson. Not the same position. But I think Javelin Guidry is the better of the two young rookie undrafted players. And Javelin Guidry, if he keeps playing like this, I mentioned it last week and I still believe it. He's kind of like a scrappy buster screen level slot receiver or slot cornerback. I mentioned uh, if Javelin Guidry keeps playing like this for the remaining two games, the Jets are going to have to decide if they want to go with him as their starting slot cornerback for next year and not bring back Brian Poole or keep Javelin Guidry as a backup. It looks to me like he is playing himself onto the roster as a slot cornerback. If he's number two, that's fine. You can get Brian Poole. But if they think he's potentially a starter, they would save the money and not take Brian Poole, who's potentially one of the best slot corners in the league. So we'll see what happens there. Gidry also a very good gunner, so he plays a second position as well, which is helpful. Arthur Mollette, he's playing safety because we've got Bradley McDougald out. We got Ashton Davis out. Matthias Farley has proven that he can't really play anything other than special teams. So Arthur Mollett's playing there. He did all right. Better than we saw Daryl Roberts when he stepped in from corner to safety. 
The other guy, Marcus May, was sweet. Marcus May was, you know, he was kind of quiet because he wasn't making big plays, but he wasn't giving up anything deep to this Rams offense. He made the plays at the right times, had six tackles in this game, and that one pass deflection at the end of the game was game-winning. This is like every week now he's doing this, getting one-on-one matchup with a good cornerback or good wide receiver on the outside. He's playing like a cornerback. Last week it was DK Metcalf and he came down with the interception. This week he's diving up, tipping the ball away, didn't get the interception, but wins the game basically on a fourth down play. I mean, he's smart enough to know he doesn't even need to intercept that. He actually gains yardage by tipping that down. So who knows? Maybe if he wanted to, he would have picked it off. I mean, he is getting so good. This is going to be my weekly segment called Resign Marcus May Now, Please, because Marcus May has earned another contract. He has. I say it week in, week out. I'm going to continue saying it until he gets signed. He's one of those guys that we have to hold on to. You don't find more guys like Marcus May in free agency. You don't. You don't find him for really cheap. Oh, we'll just go replace Marcus May. This is a homegrown guy who's getting better, it seems like, especially in coverage. And the big thing about Marcus May was, well, he doesn't stay healthy all that often. He's proven this year that he's healthy. He deserves a contract. If he gets injured... That could bite you in the butt, but you know that if he's on the field, he's going to play good, good football. So please, re-sign Marcus May. In my head, three-year, $36 million deal, 25 guaranteed. That would be a fine deal for Marcus May. We got to get this guy. So that's our defense. You want to talk special teams? The special teamers showed up as well. In the return game, it wasn't anything too crazy. Braxton Berrios did have a really nice punt return for 18 yards. Corey Ballantyne, who's been having some really nice kick returns, he had one for 24 yards. Keep in mind, the Rams didn't score all that much. And the other ones, they kicked out of the end zone. We had a nice blocked punt by JT Hassel. You're thinking maybe he's going to be player of the game. Sam Ficken comes in. He doesn't miss a kick. He goes three for three on field goals and two for two on extra points for 11 points. You're thinking, is he the player of the game? That's really good. No, folks, our player of the game is Braden Mann. He punted the ball five times, his long of 57, an average of 49. Sure, that's all well and good, but he made a game-saving tackle. At the end of the game, when the Jets when the Jets were barely clinging to a lead, he punted the ball, a nice return by the Rams. Nassima Webster starts sliding down the sideline, gets past a bunch of Jets, all of a sudden he's in open field, and there's one man to beat, and it's Braden Mann, our punter. And he tries to do a move on Braden Mann, but he stays true to himself and the play. And he goes in there and he defends his punt, takes Webster down, and potentially that's one I mean, that's one of the reasons the Jets won. A game-saving punt. And people, Jets fans across the country are just like, no, how could that happen? That was it right there. They had the punt return touchdown. The Jets were gonna lose, but you know what? Braden Mann's not having it. He's winning this game for his team. He's a tough guy. He's known for being a good tackler, even though he's small, and he made the big play. Braden Mann is your special teams player of the game. Way to contribute to the win. I mentioned Sam Ficken. He was good. I mean, he didn't miss a kick. Of course he didn't. I trashed Ficken. I all went all in on Sergio Castillo. I said, it's all Castillo time, baby. Of course, once I do that, Sergio Castillo can't kick. Sam Ficken makes all of his now. Do not be fooled, folks. Sam Ficken is not a good field goal kicker. He will not be the Jets kicker moving forward. Even if he goes on a little bit of a hot streak, it just can't happen. We cannot be fooled again. These guys get hot, and then they go cold. The ones that are good stay hot. There's not that many of them, 
but we know that Ficken goes cold. We know that he misses extra points and things. He's playing, been in the league for long enough. He actually used to be a Ram. He ain't sticking. I hope he makes his kicks for the remainder of the year. But after that, you know, good riddance. Let's get a real, a real kicker for once. In the last section of this podcast, we're going to preview the Browns. Preview the Browns. 1-13. A win is not necessary, but it would be very, very nice. Now, some people are still looking for Trevor Lawrence, so watch that Jaguars game. We'll see what happens there. As far as the Browns-Jets game, we're still going to talk about it like we're looking for a win because there's nothing more I want to see than a Jets win. When Sunday comes around, I want good plays. I want good football. I don't want to beat that team up. And I don't like Baker Mayfield or Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham Jr. or Miles Garrett. And Sheldon Richardson's kind of annoying at times too. I don't want to lose to that team. And they're feeling hot right now. It is still possible they don't make the playoffs. It would be cool to knock them out. I don't want to put the Dolphins in, but, like, Browns also. Like, screw them. So, when you look at the Browns, they're an amazing running attack. They've got two main runners. Kareem Hunt, who's another jerk. Nick Chubb, who's a nice guy. But they dominate in the running game. They are one of the best rushing teams in the entire league. The Jets typically are pretty good at stopping the run. They have had some weaknesses this year, but if Quinn and Williams plays, hopefully he can pass concussion protocol. If Foley Fadikasi can come off the COVID-19 list, the Jets potentially can do a decent job stopping the run, force it into Baker Mayfield's hands. I think that we could fare decently well there. When you saw what we did against the Rams, I'm not saying this Jets team is going to show up every Every single week, there's definitely a possibility that we come out and just give up soft zones and get lit up like we've done for 13 of the games this year. But if we come out and play like we did this past week, it's going to be tough on Baker Mayfield and the Browns. They don't have a great defense in Cleveland either. They've been winning a lot of shootouts recently. They have a couple good pass rushers. You mentioned Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett. They got one really good cornerback in Denzel Ward. And... This team typically has been winning games, you know, they give up a lot of points, but then they score a lot of points. And sometimes they give up a lot of points, and they don't score a lot of points, and they lose. I think there's going to be an easier matchup for the offense of the Jets than the Rams was. So if we can kind of keep what we were doing, keep Sam Darnold's confidence up, rolling that way, it's possible that we can get more than 23 points. And then you're talking about whether or not you can keep the Ram, uh, the Browns down. Can you keep the Browns below 30 points. I think if you can keep the Browns to 20 points, 20, 23 points, you got to be thinking that's enough. And you have to be able to score on your offense, especially against that defense. So when it comes down to it, the Browns are uh, probably looking at the Jets as an easy win, the same way the Rams did. Potentially they were looking past the playoffs and the games coming up and how big it would be to win the division and this and that. Maybe the Steelers are going to lose. And they're probably looking ahead. And that would make this a trap game. And that would make this a game that the Jets can come in there, play their football the same way they did this week, and beat that team up. And you guys will, especially if the Jaguars win, half the people will still be super angry that the Jets won a game. You know what? Move past all that. We're going to find a way to be good. Joe Douglas didn't take the Jets' job because he was going to get Trevor Lawrence. He didn't say, I'm leaving the Eagles, going to New York. Trevor Lawrence will be the answer, and that's the reason that I'll win football games. That is absolutely not what happened. He saw the roster. He saw the players that we had. And he said, you know what? I can work with this. If I draft well enough, 
make good decisions in free agency, I can put together a very good team and compete for this division year in and year out. And that has not changed. So let's play the best football that we possibly can. The Jets are still big-time underdogs in this game, projected to lose to the Cleveland Browns. But you know what? We are not afraid at this point. It doesn't matter. We are the laughingstock of the league, and we can make you eat your words. We are not an 0-16 team. We're winners for this week, this podcast, and it's been awesome talking about it. I'm so glad to finally get to do one of these where it's not just, woe is me, the Jets are having a tough year, can't wait till 2021, let's move on to the offseason. It's just one win, but it feels damn good, and beating a good playoff team like this makes it feel even better. So that's all I have for this podcast episode. As always, like, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere it's found. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Sorry for the rants. It's all we really do on this podcast is rant. Drink and rant. But it makes me feel better to vent it out. Hopefully it makes you feel better to hear some of it. Thank you again to Dad for the Father Time episode. Love your optimism. Let's see what we can do against the Cleveland Browns. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. I'll see you next week after the Browns game. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 